Welcome to a special episode of Do Justice, the podcast. Hello and welcome to the second episode of the special Lenten series, Contagious Hope. My name is Brianne Swan. I use she and her pronouns, and I am Minister for Social and Ecological Justice with Shining Waters Regional Council, part of the United Church of Canada. Contagious Hope is produced and hosted by the Reverend Alexa Gilmore of Windermere United Church in Toronto and is available every Thursday throughout the season of Lent on the Do Justice podcast feed. To ensure that you won't miss an episode of this special series, as well as other upcoming Do Justice broadcasts, please be sure to subscribe. And now, here is Alexa Gilmore with Contagious Hope. I'm Alexa Gilmore, and this is Contagious Hope. I, I'm a great believer in being vulnerable and, and to show emotion. And, and even in some situations when people are telling me about their lives, it is so sad, I start to cry. In mid-February of 2021, there were over 800,000 COVID infections in Canada, and the disease had claimed more than 21,000 lives in less than a year. 72% of the deaths have been residents of long-term care facilities. Experts say that chronic lack of funding has left our elderly vulnerable and the staff caring for them tired and traumatized often short-handed, usually working long hours for relatively low wages and sometimes without enough PPE. The care providers in long-term care homes are on the front lines of an exhausting battle against an invisible enemy that is claiming the lives of the people they love. When the care provider needs care, my next guest steps in. Clive Anderson is an immigrant from the UK a Christian, and a retired catastrophic injury consultant who wasn't quite ready for daily walks and crossword puzzles. So he took a job as a trauma responder to catastrophic and violent community incidents. Over the past 15 years, he has been on the front lines responding to scenes of train wrecks, workplace accidents, and violent incidences. In 2018, he provided trauma support to people who'd witnessed the devastation of the Toronto van attack when a man fueled by hatred against women claimed the lives of 10 innocent people on a beautiful sunny day in April. In his decade and a half of trauma response, Clive has never been called to a long-term care facility. But then the pandemic hit. 
and in the past six months alone, Clive has been called to no less than 20 long-term care residencies, where he provides support to those who are struggling on the front lines of the COVID-19 crisis. Clive Anderson, it is a pleasure to be speaking with you today. Welcome. Thank you, Alexa. Now, before we get into what is happening in the long-term care facilities and with the long-term care staff that has you going in there to provide support, I want to start with getting to know you, if I could. You could be retired right now. Uh, Tell me, what is it about the work of trauma chaplaincy that calls to you? There's uh, several things, Alexa. I think with uh, previous generations, the belief was, I'll do my 40 years of hard labor, and then my reward is to stay home, dig the garden, watch TV, go to the park. But we've all changed in the last decade or two, and people with long work experience still have lively minds and still have a fair amount of energy. But I think even more than that, they want to contribute to the world around them especially the world that is changing with some of the challenges from COVID. And we we read that uh, retired people are good volunteers and they're committed and they're responsible. And for me, having completed the divinity training at Wycliffe College, I realized that I was really too young to do any of those uh, retirement activities. And so I was fortunate to know people in the pastoral counseling field who linked me up with my, my present employer. And at that time, there was occasional call-outs to traumatic events. But then the last 15 years, our society has become more violent, uh, less rule-bound, uh, less restrained. Uh, there is more activities that frighten people. Mm. And I felt that's where I, I really belong. Anyone who's done theological training or anyone who's been a Christian for a long time believes uh, God has a purpose for me right up to the end of my life. And that purpose will be uh, within my capabilities. It will be sufficiently challenging that I need to rely upon the grace of God, but it will be just enough to make me realize I'm not finished yet. You are not finished yet. That's beautiful. And I, I, I imagine that we're sort of standing kind of at this moment looking forward as you, as you say that. And I wonder if we turn around and look backwards, is there a moment in your life that, that stands out as formative, almost like a stepping stone that brought you to this moment in time? Um, like a lot of young people, when I immigrated to Toronto, and I found a wonderful lifestyle for people who had income and uh, opportunity. And uh, I had never done things like sailing, playing tennis, flying, scuba diving. And in my new adopted country, I wanted to live out the fullness that I saw a lot of other young men and women uh, doing. And after qualifying as a scuba diver, everybody wished to go down to the Bahamas And on one occasion, uh, I was diving, and of course, you have a buddy system, but somehow or other, I got disconnected from my buddy, and there was a strong undercurrent drawing me out to uh, off the coast. And I was quite frightened. 
and I'd been a Christian for maybe three years at that point. Um, and like I think anyone who questions faith says, well, I'm in the church, I'm going to heaven, people trust me, people hear me pray, I'm one of the gang. However, uh, in a moment like this, there's no one to save you. And I remember being in the water thinking, I've only lived, what, 27 years, mm. now it's all over. And I was quite terrified and a bit like Jonah, I remember thinking to myself, all right, Lord, this is a real time for me to trust you, and it's a real time for you to come through for me, <laughs> uh, out of fear, anxiety, and hope. And then something like 30 minutes later, the dive team, they, they searched for people, and they came by an inflatable boat. So I think um, <clears throat> that experience really shook me up. And uh, that night, I remember being in my, my lovely lodge on this plantation and saying, Lord, I know I have a life, and I know you've given me back a life that I might have foolishly tried to reject. So I just want to make sure the next 50 years are good years, and I'm listening to you. And I think that was the start of me realizing God is present, even in our inabilities, and that I wanted to continue doing what I regarded as meaningful and purposeful work. Uh, towards the kingdom of heaven. So that, there you are. I, I, you, you have lived another 50 years doing meaningful, purposeful work and serving God now as a trauma responder, but suddenly COVID-19 hits. And it makes me wonder what role fear now has or caution um, as you make your decision uh, as someone in the vulnerable age category, to keep on entering the waters, to keep on entering buildings that might, in fact, have COVID-19 cases? Well, I think, I think the two go together. Uh, it's rather like you, you become aware of the blessing of good because you're aware there's an equal and opposite power of what we call evil. Uh, I was in a home a month ago, and I... I it was a home that had a lot of bad publicity mm -hmm. uh, about the quality of care. There was a significant number of deaths. Mm. And uh, when you, when you, sometimes when I go to a home, I think, I'm pretty sure I've heard of that. And I might just log on to the Global Mail and see what's said about it. And sometimes these homes have uh, family lawsuits launched against them. Uh, there's, and there's many in Ontario. And so part of me says enough people are upset with the administration of that home to get a lawyer and go to the newspaper. Mm -hmm. So there's got to be some dissatisfaction there. But that doesn't mean that I can't go in there. And uh, if I was younger, I'd say, oh, yes, I, I can be a hero by going in there. But now that uh, I'm a lot older, I don't think like that anymore. But I still feel uh, it's not a reason not to go in. And my experience is always very good. After you've been garmented and mm -hmm. you've gone through the COVID test and you're shown your room and you get water and tissues and people from different shifts uh, will come in and sit and look at you rather blankly as if what's going to happen here. And then once you introduce the subject and you present to them information that they can identify with and you you see them a little relaxed and then uh, you do what you're trained to do and uh, 
I would say all of my experiences are very good. The very rare time someone gets upset or angry, uh, I think any long-term counselor uh, should be able to deal with angry outbursts and understand the reason why. And if that happens, then people have a hearing, they have a place, uh, they will eventually relax and eventually come to terms with, yeah, I, I, I was upset for a little while. And that's quite okay. You have lots of reasons to be upset. And when I go into these homes now, and this, of course, is mandated by my employer, and they're required to do the appropriate health checks, uh, Ministry of Labor checks, and the history of, of COVID in recent months to make sure it's okay for their employees to enter with the appropriate PPE. Mm. And yes, I, I certainly have reservations because I am vulnerable, but I have a stronger belief that uh, God has overcome the world, and that's where I should be, I was going to say confident, but maybe I'll say trusting. Yeah. Trusting that, that God is there and that his will is stronger than, than my will. And so when I go in the home, I, I almost, um, well, one of my favorites is Moses. And the fact that he, for 40 years, had to face difficult decision after difficult decision and must have had many regrets. In some small way, I say, here's your opportunity to go into the unknown but it's not really an unknown because you've done this many times, it's been okay. But what it becomes is a situation in which you can provide hope, you can provide reassurance, you can encourage people in this time of uh, reflection mm -hmm. and sometimes losing hope. When you arrive on the scene, um, and you suit up in the PPE, or maybe perhaps before as you're going to the scene when you get that call, is there a ritual that you move through that gets you prepared for that moment of encountering, whether it's a, uh, an accident on a, on a work site or a rail disaster or a long-term care facility that is in crisis? Is there a ritual that helps you move into that space? No, well, there, there certainly is. There, there certainly is a ritual. And, and I like to think that this is, this is wise. Um, as I've watched television the last few months and I've seen protests and I've seen policemen preparing to enter into groups of protesters, I think they must have a kind of a debrief or a preparation. And so in the same way, but I certainly enter... Uh, the parking area and I sit quietly and I reflect on today I was lucky enough to live whatever middle-aged people do however at this moment I am going into let's call it a sacred space and I'm not really a sacred person as such however we're, we're told with our understanding of the Trinity and the understanding of Christ's resurrection we are given the tools or given the persona or in fact the motivation to believe I am here and the presence of God is with me and that's what I need to trust and so a small kind of arrow prayer from the parking lot is what I do and then when I get in I, I find that uh, 
maybe my reservations or anxieties the hour beforehand are completely unneeded because mm. everyone I meet is generally uh, kind, dedicated, wishes to be connected, wishes to take advantage of our time together. And so I, I go through that. And also, I think it's very important. It's like we, when we're struggling and we pray for something, and when we get it, we kind of forget God. Um, I, I think that's rather unwise. And so when I come out of the building, it's probably going to be two or three hours, and I'm a little fatigued myself. Uh, mm -hmm. Sometimes I'm a little pumped up by people's stories. But I'm also aware that this, this has been a gift to me by God, who's, let's say, prepared me for this moment. And so mm. I think it's appropriate to say a prayer of thanksgiving to God, knowing that there will be another time soon. Another time soon where you can be a vessel for those who are in deep crisis. And certainly from what we've been reading about in the long-term care homes, uh, there is there is crisis. Uh, you talked about being pumped up from people's stories and moved by people's stories. I wonder if you can tell me from, from your experiences of the last few months, what are the nurses and the staff at the homes telling you about what they've had to contend with over the past year since COVID began? Their stories are generally one of exhaustion, fatigue, questioning whether they're in the right job, fearful this will never end, somewhat awkward when uh, family members ask them what do they do or how's it going, mm. and also, of course, residents die. Residents are older, and until COVID came along, we thought they would live a few more years, but uh, residents die, and for staff, some residents are like their their family, like their mother, like their brothers, and they play little games with them or sing tunes with them or have little music interludes. And so there's a, a wonderful cherishing of a connection between people. And as that becomes more restricted, uh, I hear nursing staff uh, say to me, well, when I when I leave here, I can't go home. I have to go to a quarantine center and I have to spend my 15 hours there. And I really miss my family, my boyfriend, my cat. But I have to stay in this quarantine center, which is really quite lonely because the meals are delivered to you, but you're not really allowed any, any freedom. And then 15 hours later, I go back to my workplace. And it's almost as if my life has got shelved somewhere and I've, and I've left it behind. And so you hear stories like that. And then you hear stories of staff who say, I'm really frightened to go home because my two sons and my husband, they work in manufacturing and they travel on the subway and I'm really frightened they'll catch something and that will infect me and I'll bring it to work. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm very drawn to that because the example I gave you of all those years ago, I've had other incidents when I felt alone and afraid. As a trauma responder, uh, we are expected to facilitate discussion. Um, I, would f I would far rather use my skills to hear other people because I've 
I've done sufficient talking in my life that I could be quiet now for the next 50 years. And so I encourage other people to talk. And as they talk, you see the more reticent ones liven up a little bit or start to contribute because everything is voluntary. And we really want people to feel, I'm glad I came to this group and I, I'm glad that I was given the opportunity to say what I needed to say because some people, of course, need a lot of prompting. Mm -hmm. and, and you know yourself as a pastoral person when someone gives you a great entry. Um, it, it's not difficult as an empathic responder to be able to say, can you tell me more about that? Oh, that sounds fascinating. And so then people really tell you their stories. And for many of the, the nursing staff, they are immigrants to Canada. They might have been here 5, 10, 15 years. And, and I sense in them that they are still coping. And, and because of Black Lives Matter and a lot of the uh, horrible history of class in the United States, um, I think in Canada we're far more aware that uh, many of us are privileged people and there's lots who are not privileged. And so in that moment, um, part of my role could be to remind people, oh, no, you, you, and, you and I, we, we get along together and you're just as important. And you have skills and you have a life that is something to be proud of. And indeed, in that moment, the staff, the nurses, are crucial to, to the lives of so many others that are in their care. Um, and so it sounds like uh, in that moment, as they are holding our beloved grandparents, um, your job really is to hold them. Uh, yes, I hadn't quite, hadn't quite thought of it that way, but now you say it, uh, I kind of have an image of that, mm. uh, that their commitment to reassuring uh, the people in their care and Part of my role is to reassure them that they are capable of caring for families. So then what is it um, at the end of a session, say, that people say or do that tells you from what they said or done, have done that something really good has just happened? I, I think the first thing I notice is, is their, their body language and when we start to wind down and I when it's time because there's a time when they do have to get back to their shift okay everyone has said what they want to say there's nothing really left that's needed to be said and that's the time when I say everybody take a deep breath and then I my comment will be something like I, I have really appreciated being with you thank you for trusting me yeah. I'm a stranger but you've told me about your lives and I feel very privileged to hear about how you have lived. And uh, I'm hopeful that when you leave here, you will continue to live with the same sense of commitment to people who are struggling and people who need help. Um, and very often they don't rush out, they just sit there. Hmm. And I think that's a good sign that they feel this is a refuge. Uh, this is a place where I, I am accepted 
I, I might belong for a short time. And then you just wait. Um, in, invariably, we do have bottles of water there, and I like to have tissues there because it's very emotional. And then, of course, um, I give them a brochure, make sure everyone gets a brochure which has the 1-800 number to reach EAP, because even those that haven't really said very much or felt com confident enough to speak uh, will take a card, and maybe 24 hours later they'll say, oh, that man was saying there's a number I can call if I wish to talk further. Because like all issues, when you are shaken up, the emotions you have take a few hours to simmer and calm. Mm. And then it's around that time you think, oh, I wish I'd got that phone number because I want to talk to someone. The other thing that really struck me in, in what you were saying about the experience of being in the room and how you end the conversation by saying, thank you, for your trust, I'm a stranger, is that um, you, 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 in some ways, flip or create a reciprocal experience of the Matthew 25 passage. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. And, and here you are, in some sense, uh, I was in crisis and you held me. And yet you also have some experience of being the stranger for whom these people are Christ to you by welcoming you. I, I, I think that, that's, that's very true. Thank you for saying that because in our um, class-structured world, society, I think it's easy to often think more of ourselves than we should. And I'm certainly hearing important undertones uh, of justice in the work you do class and race and newcomers and wondering um, a little bit how how that plays out for you in a in a moment of trauma and crisis um, I, I think that that's a good way of describing it Alexa and when I was doing my uh, CPE years ago uh, one of my supervisors, who was just a tremendous person, as you can imagine, someone who'd lived the faith in pastoral care and was just tremendous, tremendous person. And he was losing his sight at the time. And so he would tend to emphasize things with his hands. And, and he would often say to me or say to our class, you are to be a non-anxious presence to the client. Now, this was part of my placement, and so I had to decipher what, what do these words really mean, a non-anxious presence. And I've thought of that thousands of times since, since I, I left that program. So what does it mean to be with someone and you're not conveying the fact that, um, look, I, I have to check the parking meter, or um, I, I need to go and get some groceries on the way home. What does it mean to put all of that self aside and just be timeless with the person in front of you and allow them to be who they are. So as this second wave rolls over us, are you going to carry on visiting long-term care homes? Uh, yeah, I plan to, yes. Uh, in fact, we, ha we have a monthly telecall to our managerial group 
And, and I've sort of worked out that a lot of the other counselors with the same training as me and the same age group as me, uh, there's probably uh, 50% that want nothing to do with COVID. It's just too threatening. Mm-hmm. And they, they'd rather concentrate on other call-outs. And then there's, there's 25% who are happy to connect via video or a Zoom link to mm-hmm. do the same kind of thing. And then out of that, there's, there's 10% who really prefer to be in the same room with people watching their reactions and being supportive to them. So I, I fall into that category. And, and I kind of like that because uh, it makes you feel, yeah, my, I, I'm even more reliant on God and I still have to follow the protocols for good health. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it makes me, because as doors continue to open, and as you walk through, you want to remember God is with me. And so um, if I was to do something else, which I don't want to right now, um, I would gladly go forward into whatever's provided. In fact, once you've done a few of these homes, they're not really that frightening. You then become as vulnerable as the client that you serve. and that there's this mutual experience of vulnerability. Does that help or, or hinder the situation? I, I'm a great believer in being vulnerable. If we enter situations where we're protective or we know better, then that's the wrong way to be. And to be yeah. vulnerable and, and to show emotion and and even in some situations when people are telling me about their lives, it is so sad, I start to cry. Mm. And whereas 20 years ago, I'd have been embarrassed. Well, not today, because it's a sad situation. It's worth conveying, oh, I'm, I'm sad with you. And so um, if I can put aside... Uh, tasks and preoccupations and be with the people as my then in those moments I feel uh, people trust you and believe in you because we know uh, lots of counselors who may be cognitively uh, very skilled and good with words but when it comes to the emotion and what I learned through my pastoral training is emotions are the reality of your struggles your own self awareness and wanting to be the person that doesn't know all the answers in life and to in some way show that is very important to people who already don't really know what the next few days is going to hold for them. It's just so clear in all that you've shared today that you care so deeply for those you walk with even for the briefest of periods of time. I wonder If you would, what is your prayer at this time for those that are on the front lines and those who are in long-term care and looking after our elderly at this time? Several of my my buddies who have had steady lives and let's say materially blessed lives and don't see needy people as requiring support and we we all know people like that mm-hmm. these people whose struggles are likely to be more than mine 
are looking at me and saying, well, this, this guy has everything. And so I, I'm very aware of that imbalance. Mm. And so luckily, because I believe God does remind you of your shortcomings uh, reasonably frequently if you, if you choose, if you yeah. choose to, to self-reflect. And because I'm a lot nearer to heaven than I was 20 years ago, I think it's important to keep that in mind. And so as far as a prayer, uh, I think prayer for frontline workers is to continue to believe in the skills and the education you have and continue to volunteer to put yourself in places where you can be of use and you can be of service. And if you are a person who trusts in God, then what you have contributed, we believe at some point, will be acknowledged and blessed and may be seen as a reward. I add my prayer to yours. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Clive, this conversation has felt in so many ways intimate, and yet I'm aware that across the Shining Waters region and beyond, our listeners that are taking in your story, what is it that you most hope that they take away from this time together? What would you like the listener to know? With the, the truth that you have of your faith and the degree of familiarity you have with your own skills and gifts and with the life you've had to this point, uh, I would be thinking, well, where do I go from here and how can I go on? Maybe I'll continue using those same gifts as long as I'm able, or maybe there's something a little bit deeper I haven't explored that may be shown to me that I may have a slight change in direction, but continue giving because I think as Christians get older, um, we really have to give and be available and confident that, that God has gone ahead. I mean, I, I think there's a point where Moses realizes this huge responsibility that he has. And I think there's a point when he, he prays, Lord, I will go providing you're with me at every step. And so I think I would make that suggestion to people of Shining Waters. Thank you. Clive, it's been a real pleasure to spend time with you. Thank you for telling us your story today. Thank you. It was a great privilege for me, Alexa. This podcast, Contagious Hope, explores the way love has spread over the last year. Clive invites us to be vulnerable to the people we stand before and to be faithful to the very end of our lives in service to the God who makes our ordinary lives extraordinary. As we move through this second wave of the pandemic, I hope this podcast has you wondering, how will I boldly, creatively, lovingly answer the call to be at the side of my neighbor today? For there is no lockdown on love, no quarantine on God's grace. This is Alexa Gilmore. And I'm sharing these stories as a way of inviting you, the faithful, to the front lines, the back alleys, 
the migrant fields, the lonely rooms, and every place where Christ is found. Keep on loving, my friends, because nothing spreads like hope. Contagious Hope is produced by Reverend Alexa Gilmore with assistance from the McGeechee Senior Scholarship, awarded by the United Church of Canada Foundation. Special thanks to our guests and our editor, Peter Restivo. To share your feedback and join in the conversation, email gilmorealexa at gmail.com. That's G-I-L-M-O-U-R-Alexa at gmail.com. 